For us to realize how far away we are from the Bible, we have to understand how translations work. Everyone in this room who's reading the Bible, you are reading a translation. Okay, what this means is this. You're not reading the text that the people in the Bible read. You're listening to a message at Grace Church of Alma, a place where the curious, bored, and discouraged can journey together toward a full life with Jesus. In the series, we're trying to understand the Bible. Um, the goal for me in this is I want you guys to walk away, one, with a knowledge of how big the Bible is. Every single time we talk about it, I want you to be reminded that you need to approach this book with humility. It's one of the biggest tools for you to ever have to grow in it. But second, I want to give you a tool, okay, a, a, a simple practical tip at the end of every one of these sermons that when you leave here, if you want to study the Bible, you have a tool to grow in it, okay? And so this morning, as we talk about the Bible, the question this morning is this, how far away from the Bible are you? Think about that for a second. Do you know, are you aware of how far away from the Bible you are? It's a really good question, by the way. If our goal, if we're trying to navigate, if you're trying to put into your GPS, right, that I want to know the Bible, I want to understand it well. If you want to go from where you are to that point on the GPS, right, in order for you to get the route to get there, the first thing you need is to know current location. You guys all have your phones, right? Yes, well, yeah. yeah. The Bible's an iffy question, but you all have your phones, eh? amen? Yeah. It's always asking you a question. When you open an app, when you, when you search anything, it's always asking you, can we use your current location, right? Have you noticed that? Yes or no? All you guys who are paranoid, press no right? No, I don't want you to know where I am. But to get from one point to another, you have to find out the current location. Where are you now? And this morning, uh, um, if you haven't guessed, the answer is we're all pretty far away, but I want you guys to see it for yourself. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to start in the King James Bible. I'm going to read this in a few different translations. The King James Study, shew thyself approved upon God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I like that translation. Now let's go to the Message Bible. Repeat these basic essentials over and over to God's people. Warn them before God against pious nitpicking. Pious nitpicking. Which chips away at the faith. It just wears everyone out. Concentrate on doing your best for God. Work you won't be ashamed of. Laying out the truth plain and simple. Does that sound like the same passage to you? No? Okay. On to the next one, the NIV. Don't ask those questions too long. It'll get you all frustrated. All right. On to the next one, NIV. Same passage. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, I've got another one for you, which you will not have access to. This translation was created with one purpose, right? It's for English readers to realize how different the Greek reads as opposed to all of your English translations. It's basically built for anyone who's not going to learn Greek. Is there anyone who's not going to learn Greek in the room? You guys are really brave. I'm excited to, to sit down with you guys after you, after you master ancient Greek. If you don't speak Greek, you will never know, right? You will never understand how much gets lost 
in the translation. So this was written with one purpose, to leave all the bumps and awkward bits in the text, right? The closest thing you could ever get to understanding how the Greek Bible reads without reading Greek. Here's the same passage. Hasten to present yourself proven to God, a worker unashamed, cutting the word of truth straight. How cool is that? So in the Greek language, they use a lot of word pictures. And so the idea of this, right, is to create an image of you having a knife. And here's the Bible. Don't cut it slant. How interesting is that? Cut it straight. A completely different image than some of the ones that we've just read here. Now, I want to start with this, right? I just want to give you a little taste of one Bible verse and how different that verse can be understood depending on the translation. Because this morning, the, the thing for us to understand is for us to realize how far away we are from the Bible, we have to understand how translations work. Everyone in this room who's reading the Bible, you are reading a translation. Okay, what this means is this. You're not reading the text that the people in the Bible read. Does that make sense to you? Anybody? All right, there's a process that takes place. Who's ever played telephone before? Who's ever been in school before and played telephone? It, it, you know, if, this is, if the teachers are busy and, you know, they don't have time, they're tired, kids, we're going to play telephone, right? Youth pastors, same thing. I did the same thing 20 times, right? So the idea is you line up, correct? And we start with either a picture on paper or a word. It doesn't really matter. Either way. And the idea is, is that the first person takes the word and they whisper it to the next person. That person whispers it to the next person, to the next, to the next, to the next. So you start with a word like mouse. And as it gets, goes from me to this row, to that row, to that row, to that row, all the way around the room, when it gets to Nisa, the word she has is platypus. Close, right? Kind of got the idea of what we were trying to get there, right? Understand this. There is no Bible you cannot possibly find the original copies of the Scriptures. We haven't found them yet. There's no one alive or who has ever lived in the last thousand years who has touched an original manuscript of the Scriptures. How does that make you feel? Good, bad, indifferent, eh, whatever, right? Everything that we have comes from copies of copies of copies of copies. Now, have you ever played telephone on paper before, right? Have you ever played that one before? So you draw a mouse, right? You get the idea, and you pass that piece of paper around, and each person tries to draw it. Have you ever seen what comes back to you? Terrifying, right? <laughs> Terrifying. What in the world happened between five people? How is this getting so messed up? Have you ever talked about rumors before or stories? The best thing in high school is a fight, right? Anybody? Not when you're in it, right? But when you're hearing about it. Did you hear that Jimmy sucked John in the nose, right? Okay. If you were at the fight and you heard the story, about an hour later in the next class, you're hearing it now through the fifth person. And now someone had a baseball bat, you know what I'm talking about? You know, someone had a baseball bat. The other guy's pants fell down while he was fighting. You get the whole idea, right? And the principal got in there, and it just turns, it turns into this whole thing, right? It's amazing. Because when a story gets into our hands, we have our own opinions about these people. Maybe I don't like John. Maybe in the fight, John was losing. 
but he's my friend. And so I tweak things a little bit, right? And we pass these things. And from each person, as it goes from hand to hand, the stories get tweaked just a hair, right? So one of the base things that you need to understand about the Bible, one of the first things for us to understand about how far away we are from it is that we, at best, are working with copies of copies of copies. Now, here's the good news about this. We have thousands of copies of copies of copies. How does that make you feel? Imagine being in a room like this, and there's tables everywhere, and there's copies of the same letter all over the tables. That would be pretty close to what we have on most of the, the books and passages of the Bible. Thousands of copies. Now, the scary part of that is we see how different the copies can be, right? How crazy the stories get. In the one story, the, you know, John had a bat. In the other story, he didn't have a bat. In the one story, John's 10 feet tall. In the other story, John is 5 foot 7. You get the idea? Are you with me? Okay, you're, you're, you're not moving your head. I need this. Okay, that's the scary side of it. But here's the good side of it. That thanks to thousands of years of research and study, because we care about this book, We've learned ways to compare to find the similarities. So even though we're, we're working from copies of copies, we're able to get a really accurate idea of the original. Now, even better, in science in the last, say, 300 years, archaeology has become a very important thing to us as humans in the West. We've invested lots of money into it. We've learned new techniques. And in that, in the last 300 years, we've found new copies of these stories, which had never been known before. And these copies that we found are actually not newer, they're older. Now, what's interesting about this, if I want to find out how the story actually went, what really happened, if I want to get down to the original, should I talk to the 10th person who heard the story, or should I talk to the second person who heard the story? Are you understanding how this works? Come on, nah, this is not scary, it's really simple stuff, okay? The second person, right? And so what's great about this is the more time goes by, the older the copies we find. So now we're not working with the 10th person or the 20th person who got the copy. Now we're working with the 5th person or the 4th person. And so we have a good idea now of what the original texts were like. How do you feel? Are you feeling encouraged? Good. That's good. Okay. Because here's the good news about all this, right? We're not the only ones who've been far away from the Bible. Hold on to that for one second. Here's the other thing to understand about translations. If the first thing to understand is that we're working from copies, here's the second thing to understand. We're working with different languages. Who here speaks more than one language? Spanglish does not count. Thank you, sir. <laughs> okay, so we are... Uh, <laughs> Not many bilinguals. Okay, awesome. We need to fix that, all right? <laughs> As a church, we need to fix that, right? Um, who actually took classes of like in high school, like basic Spanish, like Spanish one, French one? You get the idea, right? Okay. When you were learning the basics of the language, did you start realizing how awkward it was to take certain phrases in French and put them into English? You're going, I don't even know. It just it doesn't feel right. Or to take a, a, an English sentence and put it into Spanish. It sounds choppy. It's funky. It doesn't fit, right? Or even worse, there's words in certain languages which, are, which don't exist in other languages, right? Now, a, a common one we've talked about uh, in the churches for the last probably 10 years is the word love, right? How many words for love do we have in English? 
You can tell we have problems with affection, right? Oh, yes, we do. We have one word for love. How terrible is that? One word. I love you. I say it to my dog. I say it to my wife. (laughs) I love you and I love you. Equal. Same thing, right? If it really is the same thing, you've got problems, by the way. Let me just tell you. So, of course, in, uh, depending on the language of the Scriptures, there are various words for love, right? Especially in the, the Greek language. They had a very efficient concept that love took all different forms. And so that they had words for love that were about friendship love. They have words for love that were more about, you know, sexual love. They had concepts of love that were just for like the whole world. I, I love the existence. I love this, this book. This is a great book, but I don't love it the same way that I love a friend or the same way that I love a spouse or that I love a child, right? There are translation barriers, right? In our scriptures, if you have one with you today, right? If you are doing well, if you chose a good translation, okay? No judgment here. If you chose a good translation, And that translation, there are places in the Bible that are going from Hebrew to Latin to Greek to English to modern English. Do you see how many gaps I just made? Can you imagine how many funky things you're having to to deal with going from that many languages? Wait, I'm sorry, I apologize. I'm sorry. You go from early Mesopotamian Aramaic, oh man, I apologize, right? To ancient Hebrew, right? To middle Hebrew, oh man, I apologize. To ancient Greek, (laughs) to Latin, to old English, to modern English. How about that? Does that make you feel better? Come on. This is what we're dealing with, with translations, right? So when someone comes in and says, The Bible clearly says. It's my favorite phrase in the whole church, right? You say, man, I didn't know that you spoke Aramaic. I'm so proud of you. Tell me what it says. Tell me. Sorry, I can't help. Now, with all this being the case, right, there is good news to this, right? We're not the only Christians who are trying to follow God faithfully who have been distant from the Scriptures. Did you know that it's only been a little more than 500 years that Christians have had personal, individual access to Bibles. There are still a large majority of Christians alive today who don't have the money or resources to access a personal copy of the Scriptures. Now, how can that be, Pastor Dev? I mean, how do you follow God without your devotionals in the morning with your Bible and your coffee and your Instagram photo, right? How do you do it? How do I be a faithful Christian, right? For 1,500 years, Christians were able to faithfully follow Christ in their lives without personal, personal attachment and connection and availability of a Bible. Think about that. There are more Christians who have lived who have followed Christ and have died without a Bible than those who have lived and followed Christ with a Bible. Think about that. That's the good news. Because what that means is this, is that when we look at this this book, we don't need to see a burden. 
oh my gosh, how am I ever going to be able to understand this thing? It's, oh, it's so much. How am I ever going to be able to do this? We now get to view this as a gift. This is a gift that we get to use in our pursuit of Christ that not all Christians have had. Even today in this world, Christians in certain nations of this world who don't have money or don't have access to this book, we have a special gift from God. Amen? This is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Now, I want to talk a little bit about how these translations work. So, have you ever heard of all the different translations? If you walk into the Bible store, right, and they've got the branding, you've got the ESV section, the KJV section, the NIV section, the message. Has anyone ever seen that? You probably haven't seen it because most of the stores have closed. But you get the idea. When you walk into them, what they used to be like when they were still around, right? Now, uh, I have a graph for you guys. I want to show you how these translations work. There are three primary uh, schools of thought on the, the approach to translations. The first one, right, the way that most of us think translations work, the idea is the word for word, right? I'm going to pull up the Greek text. I'm going to find the Greek word. I'm going to find the closest English word. And I'm going to give you that word. The goal with that translation is to get you as close to the original text word for word as possible. Right? So, some books that you might be familiar with are over here, right? Uh, the ESV, the King James Bible, the NASB. Now, the second school, which is much more familiar to most of us, right? It's kind of a balanced approach. The idea here is the thought for thought, right? It's almost like um, thought bubbles in a comic book, right? We're going from impression to impression to impression. I want you to kind of get how Paul was thinking. I don't really need to know the exact words that Paul said. I want to know really what, the, what, what ideas, what was he thinking? Like what were the general ideas he was trying to get across to me, right? And then you got the third school, the paraphrase. It's a younger school of translation, right? But uh, the most famous, of course, being the Message Bible. The idea here is it doesn't matter if you know the word for word. It doesn't even matter if you understand how he processed his thoughts. What matters to you is to get it. What did Paul want you to get? What did he want you to walk away with? What, did, what was Jesus trying to transfer into you to walk away with? So who cares if you get the words? Who cares if you understand the thoughts of how he built the idea? What matters is getting it, right? These are the three primary types of translations. And you can see all the different, you know, the um, abbreviated versions up there. You might be able to find yours up there. But this is how these, how these things work, right? So... I get asked sometimes with this, right? You know, how does this stuff work? I don't really get it. I don't get how these things compare. So I want to show you quickly a comparison of how these different types work. Why is it important for you to understand which translation does what? Here's an example. If you have your Bibles, please go to 1 Corinthians 7.36. I'm going to start in the New King James Version. It's a really fun passage. You're going to have a blast with me. If any man thinks he is behaving improperly towards his virgin, dot, dot, dot. Okay? Now, let's go to the NASB, right? If any man thinks that he is acting unbecoming towards his virgin daughter, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, there's a big difference between how you handle your virgin. <laughs> the Bible's such a fun book, isn't it? And how you handle your virgin daughter. Are you with me? Are you with me? There's a big difference, right? 
This matters. Okay, we need clarity. We need, okay, we need clarity. I don't care about the word for word now. Now I want to get, what is he really just saying, right? Now, um, the, uh, the King James and uh, the NASB, these are both word for word translations. That's where they lean towards. We're going to go to more of a balanced, kind of a thought for thought uh, interpretation. If any is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he is engaged to, oh, okay, we're not talking about our daughters now. Good. That makes so much more sense. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Uh, now we're going to go to the NEB, right? If a man has a partner in celibacy, interesting, and feels that he is not behaving properly towards her, hmm, First of all, that makes you ask, what, uh, a partner in celibacy, what is this? And it creates all sorts of new questions now, right? Now, this is just a very simple example, right? Do you see how sometimes it could matter what gets lost in translation? Do you hear me? It could matter greatly. Oh, but it clearly says. This is how I handle my daughter. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not what we're talking about, Amen. So in these different approaches to these things, the question I get is, is really simple, right? What is the best translation to use, right? If they're all different, what's the best one to use? Here's my answer. Are you ready? If possible, the best translations are the oldest available Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek manuscripts. Amen, hallelujah. All right? Uh, you'll have trouble finding those on Amazon, but if you would like some help, I can help you find them. Amen? Sound good? If what you want is to get the unadulterated, to get that connection to the Scriptures without any, you know, people in the way, right? No middlemen. That is your only option. Now, have you guys heard people talk about the King James uh, version of the Bible? The KJV? Have you guys ever heard comments about that? You, you live in Alma, Arkansas, okay? So I guarantee you've heard comments about that. The only translation I use is the King James Version, right? The same one that Jesus had, right? You, you, you've heard this? <laughs> Correct, right? And the way the story goes. Well, the King James is the only... All the other translations are, you know, just inaccurate, you know? The one that the Spirit of God chose to use was the one from King James. Because King James was such an amazing human being. We all know that, right? Now, <clears throat> this is a myth, Okay. The King James Version, right, was actually a translation which was a modification of a previous Bible. You guys ever heard of the Bishop's Bible before? No, of course not. Who cares about the Bishop's Bible, right? Now, the Bishop's Bible was the commonly used Catholic Bible in the 1500s. And it was a combination of the Bishop's Bible and the Geneva Bible. Do you know what that one is? Now, if you, if you ever hear Bible or theology or doctrine and it references a, a country or a region that's like Germanic, okay, first of all, eh, it's going to be iffy, but it's going to be Reformed, meaning non-Catholic. Now, if you don't know history of the church, during that time, there's lots of people getting killed for their faith, right? Catholics versus Protestants. The good thing about the King James Bible was it was an attempt to bring peace, they're trying to take the interpretation of the Catholics and the interpretation of the Protestants and marry them a little bit. A compromise. Ooh, how do you like that word with your Bible translation? Compromise. Ooh, right? You've been taught to fear that word, right? This is actually one of the best qualities of the King James. 
Because imagine if you're trying to interpret the Bible and you get to a passage that's difficult for you. And you go, I don't know what they mean. But you have an opinion because you're a human being. You think it means this. You're going to translate it to mean that, right? Did you know that every English translation has theology in it? Meaning they're going to tweak certain words to fit their theological view of God. Did you know that? To shape how you understand God. The King James Version was an attempt to avoid that. And actually, it did an amazing job. The King James Version was an attempt to avoid Catholic doctrine and Protestant doctrine. I think we're getting bored. Are we getting bored? Good. Well, good. Okay. And so that was the goal of this. Now, here's the greatest thing about the King James Bible. It's beautiful English. Beautiful. It rolls off the tongue. It sounds good, and the Psalms don't sound good in any other translation, okay? The Psalms in English only sound good in the King James. But this is not the Bible I want you to rely on for your Bible study. Here's why. One, most of the words you don't use. They're confusing to us, correct? Secondly, the King James Bible is old. It's very old, right? And we've found things in the last 300 years. We've found older manuscripts, the King James Bible is based on, and again, this is an example, on like the 10th person who saw the fight. Does that make sense? And they heard it from, you know, the girlfriend who, whose boyfriend, whose friend, whose brother told them. Do you, you get what I'm saying? The modern translations are based on Joe's friend who heard about it in the bathroom. Does that make sense? It's a little bit better. Are you hearing me? And so the modern translations actually get more accurate, older documents to work from. And so the translations, the content in them is closer to the original Greek, the original Hebrew, than anything that you're going to get in old translations like the King James. If anyone says to you, well, we only use the King James, what they're saying is, I've never studied this. I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I, I'm very serious about it. Amen? It does not mean they're less Christian. It just means they haven't read about this. Okay. Now, here's our practical Bible tips for the day. Are you ready? Here's what I want you to leave with. I want you to realize the Bible's big. It's, it should be a little bit intimidating. We should approach it with humility, but you shouldn't be scared of it. Here's why. Here's some simple steps, uh, steps to start with today. First, I encourage you to find a balanced thought-for-thought -thought translation to use for your everyday study. So in the spectrum, right, we saw the, the far extremes, the word-for-word -word translations and the paraphrases. For your everyday study, the safest place to land is something in the middle, a balanced translation. So like um, NIV or CEB or NRSV, these are really great translations. I encourage you to stay away from the ESV. It's not bad. It's not terrible. It's just it has a lot of theology in it. Its translators were very specific on the words they, they use, especially with the, uh, the words of Paul. And so the NIV used scholars from different church backgrounds, right? And so it kept the theology pretty, pretty much in the middle uh, as much as we can hope for, right? So for your everyday reading of the Bible, I encourage you to find something in that group, okay? What's cool about this is you guys have access to technology, amen, don't you? You have apps where you can kind of jump between translations. It's going to be helpful because here's tip number two. I encourage you to find one word-for-word -word translation. Look at King James or in ASB, uh, and one paraphrase translation. The Message Bible is my favorite. It's so well done. And uh, the, 
The author of it is so wise and skilled. I just love the Message Bible. Uh, I wouldn't use it for your you know, in-depth study, but for just everyday learning, it's such an amazing tool. Okay? So the idea is this. Your everyday reading is going to be with that uh, in the middle, the balanced translation. But here's what happens, right? Tip number three. When you're going through and you read something and go, oh no, am I supposed to handle this? Is this referring to my virgin or to my virgin daughter? Okay? When you have that moment, here's what you do. You open up the word-for-word -word translation and the paraphrase translation, and you read all three. Okay? And from that, most times you're going to be able to get a very accurate answer on how to proceed. Okay, now, again, this is our first year on this topic. We'll go way more in depth in years to come, but this is just a great place to start. You don't need to read the Greek and the Hebrew. If you ever do, awesome, but you don't need that, okay? You have a lot of people who have learned these languages for you to do some hard work for us to give us these tools. And so you need to be aware of what you don't know, okay? But now we get to use the tools that we have in front of us, okay? And so for you, you don't need to be afraid because you can have that, these three um, translations together will answer probably about 75% of your questions about passages that just are frustrating or confusing or just don't seem to make sense. Amen? Does that, is it easy to do? Okay. And the cool thing is you can do that all in one app on your phone. Amazing. Would you guys stay with me this morning? I love this. So after a, a Sunday where we're, we're going in-depth and understanding the, the Scriptures and translations and all the ways that we've gotten our hands on all these things, we're going to end our service by going back to one of the oldest things that we've had. Before Christians had a Bible, before Christians even had doctrines, we hadn't even figured those things out yet. What we had was practices, meaning things that we knew that Jesus did with his disciples and told his disciples to tell their disciples. These things that, that Christ told us would help us along the way in our journeys to find God. And so the Eucharist or communion is the oldest thing that we have. It's the thing that goes all the way back. And we, we even we get to see it in the Gospels, in the stories, in the ancient manuscripts. We see that Jesus took the time to instruct us on how to do this. Because there's all sorts of amazing knowledge and ability to connect to God through this book. But sometimes the simplest things are the most profound things. And so we come to this table and we take ordinary bread and ordinary juice. And we allow God to meet us in our unknowing. Because we know that there's so much we don't know. And we know that there's a God who so much of our life is spent at work and with family, even good, amazing things. We spend our life in all these places. And we know there's just, we want more of God, but we, we haven't invested ourselves there yet. And we have a God who meets us in such a simple act. So Father, we just come to you this morning. And Lord, I just pray this morning, Lord, that no one would leave this place uh, intimidated or overwhelmed with the scriptures or with finding you. Um, we thank you that you gave us such simple things to do. They don't require PhDs, lifetime spent studying ancient manuscripts or languages. You've given us these ordinary things we can do even as children. 
And so this morning, we ask that we would come as children with our uh, adult problems and adult wounds and fears, insecurities, anger, agendas. We ask that you would help us to come to the table as children, to meet you, just to know you, just to experience you.